Folks, I want you to stay tuned to the end of this program because I'm going to share why I had to miss the show two weeks ago. I went through an experience that was so powerful, and I want to share it with you at the end. God has been so good. Please stay tuned. I want to get in with a word of prayer and get started on this program because I feel what I'm about to share with you. Um, it's life-changing, life-saving. Uh, it's eternal. And it, not because of what I'm about to share is some thing that's some unknown truth I'm about to reveal, but it's so important right now that this message get through. Father, in Jesus' name, may I be simply a conduit to your will that your message would flow through me. In the name above every name, Yeshua Jesus, I pray. Amen. Folks, we've heard last week, uh, Brother Benjamin you know, um, talking about the hour we're living in and some things he's been discerning and and um, feeling and sensing. Folks, there's a worldwide sense of something is wrong. We know it. We see it. And there is a panic by many. There is a fear by many. There is a worry by many. And unfortunately, there is a um, I don't care I'm not going to be concerned by many also. We're kind of divided the body of Messiah today. Many of those in the end time remnant, we would say the watchmen, the uh, those who are awake in this hour, we're even divided in there. There are those who are panicking and afraid. There are those who have heard the message for so many years and still haven't done one thing to change their prayer life or their time with the Lord. And, and then there's others who who listen and they're ready, but they feel like maybe they just can't do anything, even if they wanted to do something. And, and so we're divided all over the place. But the truth is, folks, the mission has not changed. And no matter what we see coming, no matter what we know is just ahead, the mission has never changed. We have a mission as believers in Messiah to reach a dying world for the Savior, to reach a dying world with the only hope that they have, and that's the hope in Jesus Christ. And I want to share tonight because nothing that we've talked about, nothing in this world, nothing is going to make a difference if you don't get this right. If you don't get this part right, all the rest of everything you've heard is absolute vanity, vexation of your spirit, because it won't mean a hill of beans if you don't get this part correct. There was a church and the pastor had had a guest speaker to come in. He was an old preacher and pastor got up and told the congregation how good of friends that they had been and known him since he was a child and that he would like him to say a few words and invited the old preacher up to speak whatever was on his heart. Well, the old preacher got up and he began to share this simple story. He said a father and his son and a friend of his were sailing off the Pacific coast. He, 
when a fast storm blocked and the attempt to get back to the shore was fruitless. The waves were so high, even though the father was an experienced sailor, he could not keep the boat upright, and the three were swept into the ocean as the boat capsized. The old preacher at that time noticed that some of the young teenagers were sitting up to listen very intently. Grabbing the rescue line, the old preacher said the father had to make the most excruciating decision of his life. To which boy would he throw the end of the lifeline? He had only seconds to make a decision. The father knew that his son was a believer. He knew that his salvation was in Jesus. He knew that he understood what it meant to be a complete follower of Jesus Christ. And the agony of the decision was weighing heavy in this moment of crisis because the father also knew that the son's best friend that was with them had no idea who Jesus was, didn't have a saving relationship, if he died, would be lost for an eternity. In those few moments, the father sitting there with the excruciating decision to make all of a sudden yelled out to his son, son, I love you. And with that, he threw out the lifeline to his son's friend. By the time the father pulled his friend in the capsized boat, he looked over to see his son disappear beneath the raging waves, his body never to be recovered. By this time, the young teenagers were sitting up, listening very closely to the next words to come from the old preacher's mouth. The father, he continued, knew his son would step into eternity with Jesus, and he could not bear the thought of his son's friend stepping into an eternity without Jesus. Therefore, he sacrificed his son to save his son's friend. How great is the love of God that he should do the same for us. Our heavenly father sacrificed his only begotten son so that we could be saved. And with that, the old preacher sat down. After the pastor had gotten back up and they sang a few hymns and closed out the service, two of the young men of the teenagers came over there and wanted to talk with the old preacher. Preacher asked him what was on their mind. He said, they said, well, that was a nice story, politely, but I don't think it was very realistic for a father to give up his only son's life in hopes that the other would become a Christian. Well, the old preacher said, you've got a point there. As he glanced down at his old worn Bible, he then looked up again at the boys and said, it sure isn't very realistic, but I'm here to tell you today. This story gives me a glimpse of what it must have been like for God to give up his only son for me. You see, I was that father and your pastor was my son's best friend. Now, I've known about that story for some years, but every time I remember it, hear it, think about it, it reminds me of the power of what it meant for God to throw out a lifeline to you and me, brother and sister. And I see my own children and I see my grandson and I think that I would do anything in this world to save them. There is no sin, no evil deed they could do to prevent me from giving my life in exchange for theirs. But to let one of them go to save a non-believer, brother and sister, I'm not so sure I could do the same. And I look at this world today so full of evil, hatred and lies and scoffers and the rebellious half-hearted believers in church. 
asking for God to save them and yet hardly even praying, let alone reading God's word anymore. And I'm thinking, God, this world is so ripe for your holy judgment, more wicked than Sodom and Gomorrah. And yet when I read the scriptures, I keep finding things like this. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I read verses like these, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and will sup with him and he with me. Lord, this world is so full of evil and wickedness. They deserve your judgment. And then God says, but I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? And here's God pleading to the wicked to turn. And I see all of this and I think to myself, who am I? I'm a hypocrite. God reached into the belly of hell to rescue me from a life of drugs and alcohol. This world is dying and in need of hope, in need of this Jesus we talk about so often. And I come here to this program and I speak about the Lord and I do this and I try to do that. But in all reality, folks, I am not out sharing the good news like God has asked me to do. I have a business, I make money, I've, you know, I've been so poor and I've been comfortable. I've God taken care of me and I've had lived in, in the worst of situations and yet God still took care of me. But the truth is my hypocrisy, brother Frank here I'm talking about, runs so high because I tell you over and over to do these things, yet at times I look on myself and say, Frank, you come behind your microphone, occasionally you'll go do your mission trip, yes, you have some home church things and you do some stuff here, but in all reality, you waste so much time on your work and everything else when the world is dying and in need of a savior, and folks, I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. This world is dying and in need of hope. And we come here so often and we listen to our programs about the end times, yet we hardly do anything about it. And when I mean doing something about it, I mean, you know, the world is in a bad place. What are we doing? to warn the people what are we doing to love the people what are we doing to share with the people that jesus is coming again soon i was out the other week you know we finally we went out to share with some people in this neighborhood about some stuff going on and 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 one of the girls that we've raised like our own children she was out there with us and and we were going out to share with some people and i remember she knocked on the door of these people's house and the first person she come to he was an atheist and shot her down he, and she, he didn't want to talk to anything about. So she was a trooper. She went on to the next lady, knocked on the house, talked to her. And she said, I'm just a shut in. You know, nobody comes visit me and all that. And so she's like, can I just pray with you? And all, she just kept and just warmed my heart. And as we were going around the neighborhood, there was so much need and so much hurt and so much desperation for someone to just care about somebody. And I look at this world and I ask myself, Frank, what are you doing? It's it's not about works. I, I already have salvation through through Jesus. I, but he loved me so much that he was willing to lay down his life for me. What are we doing to help give that good gift to other people? I know this world is sick. I know it's the end times. I have no excuse. God 
You saved me, and I didn't deserve any of it. Why would we let people perish when God has thrown a lifeline to them in the name of his son, Jesus? Here we are today, living proof, brother and sisters, all of us here that have been touched, that God can save anybody. You know, I, I, I've told you about my, I was hoping to have him on this week. Maybe next week we're going to get him on. He's got to get a microphone from my dad down in North Carolina, my cousin, you know, that's lifelong drugs like me, but he was even longer, didn't get out 25, 20, 25 years, cocaine habits, everything under the sun, you know, and, and God has gotten a hold of him. My sister's been out of prison now for almost four years, and, and I'm, I'm just watching God do things that to people that look like they're unsavable to the world. And God's like, you know what? I'm going to save them at the end of this program, folks. You keep with me here. You're going to want to hear why I missed the program two weeks ago. You're not going to want to miss this. And God is throwing this lifeline out to the world and trying to get people's attention because that neighbor that you've lived by for all those years or that person you've thought about talking to, it's time to start praying and asking God to open up a door for you to help share the good news with them. You don't have to go beat them over the head with the Bible. Try by being their friend. Try by being a good neighbor. Do you know They've done surveys before that how effective evangelistic crusades have been and all these different types of methods. Do you know the number one people way that people still come to the Lord? It's through somebody else on a one-on-one relationship sharing Jesus Christ with them. And I look out here and say, God, I don't want to get to the end of this world and look back with regret. I don't want you to call up my name and say, Frank, why didn't you feed my sheep? Why didn't you go after the lost children? Yes, I have a program here by God's grace. It's his program on the remnant call. But this is once a week. There's a whole lot more time out there. And I feel the urge, and I've known it for a long time, but I've allowed myself so often to be sidetracked by work when the truth is it doesn't matter about work. What matters is that people know who Jesus is. Look, folks, we know evil is spreading like wildfire. But at the same time, all of God's creation is groaning for the redemption. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans 8, 22 and 23. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have been the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. It's not just the church who desires the return of the Almighty Savior. It's God's entire creation that is groaning for the return of the Lord. The world cannot sustain itself much longer. Our cup is full. The days of Noah and the days of Lot are upon us. But even in the days of Noah, God built an ark, an ark, excuse me. And the wicked were warned. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And 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 even though only 8 people came in, it wasn't that they weren't warned. And in the days of Lot, God sent angels and they literally drug out Lot's family to save them. And God was willing to save them. If there was only a couple righteous, he was going to spare the whole entire city. He was full of mercy. And you look at these events 
and you see that hardly anyone would repent, but yet in the book of Ezekiel, God states that at the end of time, in the darkest of hours, the greatest salvation the world has ever seen will come while the entire world is under judgment. We know in Ezekiel, this is when the pale horse rides and the fourth seal uh, is opened. It is the time when the book of Revelation tells of the four sword judgments being released upon the earth. God tells Ezekiel that if only one of these judgments were released, that even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were there, they couldn't only deliver themselves, but not their sons and daughters. And after going through all of those four sword judgments in Ezekiel chapter 14, which we know are the same as the fourth seal, because if you look at the judgments being released in Ezekiel 14, you will look there, the same exact four judgments of the fourth seal. And so even it gets to the end and says, even though they could, they could not deliver anybody but themselves, God says something is so different in the end of time when he releases everything at once in earth's history. Now, if you haven't heard the Isaiah 60 prophecy message, you need to go over there, brothers and sisters. I did it about two months ago. And it talks about the Isaiah 60 prophecy, which uh, which confirms how God will work the greatest works through his people in the darkest hours of earth's history. Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 21 through 23. Listen to the, what the word of God says. How much more when I send my four sword judgments upon Jerusalem, the sword and the famine, the noisome beast and the pestilence to cut off from it man and beast. Yet behold, therein he sh shall be left a remnant that shall be brought forth both sons and daughters. See, before he said, no, nobody, you can't deliver anyone when he goes through each judgment one at a time. Noah, Daniel, and Job, they can only deliver themselves by their own righteousness, it says. But when all hell breaks loose, when all the judgments are released at the same time, he says, you're going to see both sons and daughters. Didn't the Lord said he saved the best wine for last? Yes, the greatest deliverance comes at the end of time. I'm not talking about this fake revival that the modern day charismatic church talks about. I'm talking about in the midst of tribulation, God is going to raise up a people and deliverance shall be seen in the midst of God's remnant. Behold, they shall come forth unto you and you shall see their ways and their doings and you shall be comforted concerning all the evil that I have wrought upon Jerusalem, even concerning all that I've brought upon it. And they shall comfort you when you shall see their ways and their doings and you shall know that I have not done without cause all that I have done, saith the Lord God. The tribulation is going to bring deliverance and holiness in God's people. You better believe that. Not only is this world falling apart, brothers and sisters, not only has the pale horse ridden, but God says, go and get them. He is going to be in the business of deliverance in the end of time at the world's darkest hours of history. I believe this with all my heart that we are living in the final generation. And there comes a day when God says, that's it. I can't take it anymore. No more human trafficking, no more murder, no more abortion, no more homosexuality, no more slaughtering of the innocent. Now, I have had it. It's over. 
And if the pastors won't warn the flocks, then I'll send the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the drunkards, and the drug addicts to do it. Because the pastors will not do what they were supposed to do. It doesn't matter how messed up they are or how far they have fallen. If anyone will call upon the name of Jesus, they will be saved, the word of God says. God, we here at the Remnant Call are pleading with you today. We know the times. We know the hour we have heard for years and years the we've seen you know about the soon coming and it's time to revive your people lord it's time to come jesus come come and revive us and wake us up folks there i know so many of you that are struggling out there your family your children your parents your neighbors that aren't saved lord we need your power right now God, we repent. I repent for the sin of wasting time, of not doing what you've asked us to do, and that's to reach out to the lost, to follow the the great commission, to preach the everlasting gospel, to give people a fighting chance. I know that there are those that are listening to this program, Lord, that are angry of how they were raised. Some, Lord, may even feel that you've you've betrayed them because maybe they weren't healed the way that they wanted to be healed or a loved one had died that they didn't think should die. Or maybe that they have been in a tragedy and their life was so bad that they dare not even share it and it's grown a root of bitterness and anger, Lord, in their heart for so long. And I look at this. And I see, Lord, how you healed the sick. You gave sight to the blind. You fed the hungry. You raised the dead. And despite all that, you died with tears on the cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You hung there. The Bible said in Isaiah 52, you were beaten worse than any man, that it marred your visage, the Bible says. And yet you said, forgive them for they know not what they do. I know there are many of you that are bitter in your heart. And Jesus did, was perfect. He raised the, the, the dead. He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He did everything wonderful. And yet they hung him on a cross. I dare say if we were there, we would have done the same thing. Yet he still said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I'm here to tell you today, brothers and sister, we know what we've done. We know what we have done. And yet our heavenly father is still throwing a lifeline to us. I'm here to tell you that today is the day of salvation. And yes, I believe in the waters of baptism by immersion. And that is a part of what God asks us to do that when we give our life to Christ, that we go down into those waters of baptism. And I can remember in 1999 when I gave my life to Jesus and I went under those waters of baptism, I had an experience. I came up out of those waters and I hit the ground on my knees and I wept that the God of all the universe would save such a wretched person like me. Well, I wasn't too long ago. I was with a group of believers. There's a small church in town here. I know of. I've known them for years. I've been there. And they decided this church, you know, I've, you, you know me, Brother Frank, we do some things on our own, but I still love these people to death. And they wanted to have a revival post 
the pandemic, the pastor they had at the time had shut their church down out of fear, almost destroyed the body completely. And they were angry and upset. After the pandemic, they couldn't find half their members. And they wanted to have a revival. And they asked if I would preach one of the messages through the revival. And I agreed, and we began to pray for seven weeks. And as we prayed on Wednesday nights, and we would pray after they would have their services, that God would revive this church. And it was interesting because the church was very simple and strategic in their revival because they realized that something was wrong. They had been relying upon a pastor for so long that they had forgotten to rely upon Jesus. Then they made a conscious decision as this little church that they were no longer going to care or worry about a pastor. They were going to put their focus back on a savior. And they decided that they were and made a declaration that Jesus was going to be on the throne of that church. And they began to preach and they began to testify of the power of the Almighty, and they began to seek the Lord. Now, this church hadn't had anybody giving their life to Christ in a long time. It would have been dead for the most part. It had almost been killed by their former pastor that had shut it down, and they were in terrible shape. They hadn't had the baptismal waters filled up in so long. It was it was terrible for one of their members to give their life, to, or a person to come in, excuse me, and give their life to Christ. And so they decided this revival was going to go from a Thursday through Saturday night. And they made an announcement. They said, we will have baptisms on Saturday night at this church. And so they decided they were going to do this. And you know, here's the interesting thing. They had nobody lined up. Nobody was there to give their life to Christ. They said in faith, we believe that through this, that God is going to bring people to salvation and give their hearts to Jesus. And so they began that Thursday night. And so I went in and ran the sound for them and was doing everything there. And and I helped them with some of the music out and we got it going. We began to see the, the, the guy who preached a, a powerful message that Thursday night and had a powerful altar call, and we began to see God start to move. And then Friday evening, there was another message, and then they had another message in the morning on Saturday, and then they had another message in the evening on Saturday night. Well, Friday, two people expressed, hey, they wanted to give their life to Christ, and that was exciting because we already announced there's going to be baptisms Saturday night. Well, by the time we hit the ser- the message Saturday evening, we had eight people ready to surrender their life to Christ in a church that hadn't seen people giving their life to Jesus in years, in years. And we, so we had a concert going to happen, a group that came in to play some gospel music that night. They were a gospel bluegrass band and they play around in many churches and they came in to do an hour long uh, at 5 p.m. that evening. They came to do a concert there and they started to play to to play and the people kept just coming forward i think when we first got there that evening there was maybe four five six people by the time they, they just kept saying i want to go in i want to give my life to christ i want to come forward and before you know it we had old women coming up being re- anointed with oil to give them their recommitting their lives to jesus we had eight people going in the waters of baptism and we were up there and that girl that i told you that that she was like one of our own children she came that afternoon she says i want to give my life to jesus 
And and she says, I want. Is Frank going to be in the in the pool with me in the in the baptismal waters like he was with with my daughters when they gave their life to Christ? And I said, Yes, I'll be there. And then her uncle came out of nowhere down there because her mom was her actual biological mom was gone, couldn't come. And so her uncle showed up and he happens to be a pastor at another church about a half hour away. And he came and showed up. The interesting thing was her uncle and I were baptized together in 1999. We both surrendered our lives together. And that night we both baptized her and in the waters of baptism. And we were weeping and crying so hard because God was moving so powerfully in that church. Then I remember we got out of the waters of baptism and the pastor was baptized and more people and offering whoever wanted to come forward, whoever wanted to give their life to Jesus. And I remember out of nowhere, my son-in-law, he jumps up and he looks at me like, like a man that's on a mission and he's got like a breath left in his life. And he comes forward with my grandson and we had talked about it sometime dedicating Rowan, my grandson, like the Lord, you know, Hannah dedicated uh, Samuel to the Lord to dedicate him by laying on the hands and giving him to the Lord in dedication. And so he came down and I remember he was walking so intently and I'm like, oh my lands, what's going on here? And he reaches out and he, he hands me Rowan with a look of desperation. He says, dedicate him now. And we were crying and we all came forward and we prayed for that little baby and we dedicated him. The whole church is weeping and crying and the and the group that was there said, we've never seen anything like this. And I said, this church has never seen God move so powerful. And my wife wept so hard, she broke blood vessels in her eyes. My daughter said, dad, the, the spirit of God was so thick, I could hardly breathe in that place. And we watched God take this little church that hadn't seen anybody in years turn their life around, explode and on fire for Jesus Christ. And I'm looking at that, and I'm wondering, what are we doing? Yes, we're in trouble as a country. Yes, things are going to happen that are bad. Yes, there could be war and everything. But the truth is, it doesn't matter. People still need to hear about Jesus. I can remember the whole next day. I told people, I said, look, I don't want to hear anything negative. I didn't want to see an ounce of news. I didn't want to know what was bad in this world. I sat and literally soaked in the joy of the Lord. And it was one of the most glorious days I had had in my life. Those two days back to back, it was so unbelievable. And I remember I went back to this little church on Monday. Now, we had 95 people packed in there that night on a church that normally has 40 in attendance. And we had 95 people packed in there and we started at five o'clock. I think we got home at 10 and, you know, folks, truthfully, let me just say this white people don't go to church that long. Okay. And, uh, thank God we have a diverse crowd in our church, but I'll tell you right now it, it was, God was moving. We couldn't leave if we wanted to. And I went back in on that Monday to that church because I had recorded some stuff and I wanted, someone asked if they could get a recording of the sermon that was preached that night. And so I went back in to get this USB stick out of there. And as I walked into the church sanctuary at the end, I could feel God's presence 
so heavy in there. And I walked through and I was like, oh my, I can't believe I can still feel the presence of the Lord in this place. And I walked out of the back of the church into the foyer area and the pre- it went away immediately. I went upstairs, went to the sound room, got the thing out, came back down. And when I opened up the door, my heart took off racing. And it was like the most beautiful anxiety I've ever had just welled up inside of me. By the time I hit that front pew, as I was walking through, I fell down and I wept because God's presence was so heavy. I could feel it so strong. And I was like, God, you're not giving up. And this is not a charismatic Pentecostal, and I'm not coming against any of that right now. These are a church that's predominantly pretty conservative. And these people were filled full of the Spirit at the moving of God. And I remember I got on my phone, I called the head elder, and I said, hey, man, you need to go over to the church because the Lord's still there. It was so powerful. And folks, I'm trying to share this with you tonight because you've heard so many messages about the end time. And I know it's the end times and everything, but I want you to know right now that God is in the business of saving people. And we as believers have a mission to reach out to others and share the good news. Everybody can do something for Jesus. And if you can't get around, you can at least pray for those who are out on the front lines sharing the good news because any moment they could shut this channel down at any moment the remnant call could be evaporated but as long as i can still spread the gospel i want to be spreading it all the way till the very end and at the end we can look back and say just like paul i fought the good fight the lord desires us to be about our heavenly father's business. And I'm telling you right now, he is in the business of saving souls. And doesn't matter if Russia drops nukes, if China drops, it doesn't matter what happens. God is in the business of saving people. And don't you know that if he can save others and he saved you, that he can protect you even in these darkest of hours? God is going to do something and he needs a people who are willing to do it. Don't just keep listening to these end time programs and doing nothing about your prayer life. Don't just keep listening to shows and do nothing about your Bible study time. Don't just keep listening and never share. God wants us to be about his business And you will experience the greatest joy. My son-in-law had never given his life to Christ yet. Now he wants to also surrender and be baptized up in the river and give his life to Christ. I'm so excited. I'm so happy. Because all I ever want is for all my family to be in God's kingdom. Nothing else do I need to accomplish in life except for reaching the lost for Christ and allowing him to do his mighty work.
And if this little church down the road who has been devastated can decide that they're sick and tired of it and going to get on their knees and put Christ back on the throne, what can happen if the remnant starts to pray and believe what God can do in these last hours? Folks, this is Brother Frank pleading with you. Seek your God. Seek his salvation and then share it with somebody else. This is Brother Frank on the Remnant Call saying good night and shalom. Trumpet in time